Welcome to Grace by Rain, a podcast about the beauty in life. I'm your host, Elaine Shercliffe. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I was going to post this last night, but while I was recording, I stopped about 20 minutes in to make sure I didn't mess something up that I said. And uh, <laughs> um, you could definitely hear my mom's snoring. <laughs> Even though she was way on the other side of the house for some reason, my mic picked it up. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, like my cat could be in this room with me and meowing right into the mic and it might not pick it up because I'm speaking and it'll like hone in on my voice instead. But last night my mic was like, oh, what's that? Was that Elaine's mom? Let's see what she has to say. <laughs> so you're getting this uh, a day late. <laughs> so thank you for your patience. Normally, I end my podcast with the segment, what am I watching? What am I reading? Or what am I listening to? But this week, I'm putting it at the front of the episode because there's a line in the show I'm currently watching, which has become the theme of this episode of the podcast. So what am I watching? You ask? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, <laughs> I am watching a show called New Amsterdam. Uh, it's currently on Netflix. Not a new show. Uh, it's been around for five seasons yeah so it's its fifth and final season going on right now uh I however am only in the beginning of season two so um New Amsterdam is a drama centered around a hospital in New York City um a doctor by the name of Mark Goodwin has come in as the new medical director and he's trying to turn the vibe of the hospital around. <clears throat> it's become more about treating people instead of being about the money. Basically treat the patient based on the symptoms, not based on their bank accounts. Like I said, I'm one episode into season two, um, but it reminds me of a less dramatic Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I don't know if the vibe will change as it goes on, but what I've seen so far, I thoroughly enjoy. So um, if you're looking for a new show, I highly recommend season one of New Amsterdam. In episode four of season one, there was a line that really resonated with me. It showed up at both the beginning and the end of the episode. So Dr. Goodwin's coworker, Dr. Helen Sharp, noticed he seemed to take like the hardest path traveled. She asked him why he tends to take the hard route and his response was better views. At the end of the episode, an emotional Dr. Sharp walked up to Dr. Goodwin and said, I took the hard road. And he responded with, and? And she said, better views. Oh, better views, man. It's so true, though. Better views truly come when you take the road less, less traveled, or climb the highest mountain, or do the things which scare you the most. It's almost as if it makes it all worth it in the end. And sometimes you'll get to see and experience some of the most beautiful things in life. Not just at the top, but also along the way to your destination. And so it reminded me of kind of the path or like the different things I had to overcome to get to the 2023 AHL All-Star Classic in Level, Quebec. 
the eight, so just in general, okay, before we get to what I had to overcome, let's get to what the AHL and the city of Laval and the Laval Rocket had to overcome to have this all-star game. The all-star game took place in Laval, Quebec on Sunday, February 5th was the skills and Monday, February 6th was the Hall of Fame induction for the AHL and the All-Star Classic. Now, <laughs> first of all, this AHL All-Star game was supposed to take place in February of 2021. Think about that. February of 2021. So when everything shut down for COVID, the AHL ended their season early in 2020 and did not come back. The NHL had a bubble in the summer. AHL did not. They just ended and that's how it was. That was it. In 2021, they had a condensed season. It went from, I want to say it was like January until May. And the Canadian teams did not start until later. And since the All-Star game was supposed to be in Laval, and the Canadian team started later, and there weren't many, you know, we couldn't travel into Canada. So um, there was no All-Star game in 2021. So they moved it to 2022. And as things kept going along, they realized the restrictions in Laval were in, and Quebec were a little bit more stringent than um, other parts of Canada and also other parts of the world. And so to make the event successful and be able to have fans there and allow time for planning, they moved the All-Star Game to 2023. Now, Elaine, what else could have happened since then? Well, the weather. <laughs> oh, the weather. Um, Quebec in general is cold around this time of year, right? It's winter. It's Northern Canada. Like, what do you, <laughs> like, what do you think is going to happen, right? So I didn't fly in until Saturday. Smartest decision I ever made, to be honest. I was stressed about that decision at first. So glad that I made that decision. On Friday, the airport got shut down in Montreal. <laughs> it was too cold. It was way too cold. There was actually a reporter by the name of Andrew Rinaldi. He covers the Wolves and the Griffins for um, Field Pass and <laughs> Field Pass Hockey. And he was stuck in a plane for six hours upon landing in Montreal. I don't think he got off that plane until like 1 a.m. or something like that, something ridiculous. Uh, and then they lost his luggage. It was a hot mess at the Montreal airport. When I got there on Saturday afternoon, um, I went looking for his luggage because there was luggage everywhere. The flights that came in on Saturday morning and afternoon, not so bad. When I arrived, there was like no people in the airport. It was super chill. It was great. Like I just like walked through customs. I mean, I obviously went through customs, they asked me questions, all that stuff, but like there was no line. It was the only one. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, but there was luggage everywhere. There was strollers and hockey equipment. There was 
snowboards and skis. There were musical instruments. They were everywhere. I couldn't find Andrew's bag. Let me tell you that. I tried. I tried. And other people, <laughs> other people also helped me try that worked at the airport. And I appreciate them so much. We couldn't find it. Luckily for Andrew, his um, luggage was found and brought to the hotel like early Sunday morning, late Saturday night. And he was able to have his clothes and everything for the um, skills competition and the classic, the game. But, <laughs> um, and he wasn't the only one, right? So there, there was a lot of stories I heard all weekend from um, people who were arriving before the players because everybody had a game on Saturday. So a lot of players didn't even travel until Sunday morning or Saturday night. They caught a red eye across the country from the West Coast, which it's insane that there were games on the West Coast in the middle of winter the night before the skills challenge on the East Coast. <laughs> so that in general, it was a lot. It was a lot to get <laughs> to get this event uh, rolling, but it was an incredible time. And the people of Laval and the Laval Rocket fan were so amazing. The people who work for the Rocket, oh my goodness, so sweet. I don't know much French. If you write it, I could probably read it and understand. If you wanted me to write to you, I would do my best. It's going to be really choppy. I might have to, you know, pull out a French dictionary. Um, kind of the same way I am with Spanish. But um, at least if someone spoke Spanish to me, I would be able to kind of pinpoint and understand. It might be because I have a coworker who, who is bilingual, speaks Spanish a lot. So when I overhear her, speaking I'm like oh that's what she's talking about um but with French no mm -mm. Mm -mm. no way it's like you know what you know what it's like for me when somebody speaks French is I try to listen right and I try to you know comprehend and all I hear is just a cacophony of noises and it's really fast and I go, and, and I don't know how to say, please slow down. Um, in French, but I know how to say it in Spanish. And I feel, <laughs> I was up there and somebody was talking to me. And it was really, really fast. And I was like, mas despacio, por favor. <laughs> and then I realized, well, that's bad. So then I walk around and be like, je désolé, je désolé, je désolé. Which means I'm sorry. I <laughs> a lot of like merci, which is thank you, like merci, je désolé, je désolé, oui, oui, non. <laughs> I will one day, I will one day, one day know enough French to be able to hold a conversation with the people of French Canada. This week and last week and two weeks before was not the time. <laughs> so now for me and my experiences leading up to the, um, the All-Star Game. So the first hard road, we'll call it like the hard road for me, was having to take my sabbatical in April, 2022, I was out of the writing game and sports writing game until like August, early September of 2022. Very, 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 very hard for me, right? For some people would be like, oh, you got a break. That's great. That's not hard. No, it's hard. Okay. Up until this year, I really didn't know it was like to just not have things to do, you know? I spent a lot of time reading. I slept. I I just was. And I dealt with whatever feelings I've had in the past. And I, I grew a lot. Kind of touched base with who I am. And so 
you know, being relaxed and not on the verge of being burnt out mid-season allowed me to feel confident enough to cover the AHL All-Star Classic. Because you see, since I started writing more about happy, you know, I started in like 2010, it's about 13 years ago. I have always been on the cusp of being burnt out mid-season because I was doing too much and I didn't know when to say when or just let go and let God and let whatever happens happen. This is the first time, <laughs> the first season where I just wasn't burnt out. And so I felt really confident that I could go there and cover the All-Star Classic without having a breakdown, without being emotional all the time. And I don't mean like, you know, emotions in a good way. I mean like bad emotional, like to say, like anything would just make me want to cry or scream or just be moody, right? My goals heading into the weekend were to write one article while I was there and to grab content that mattered or that was evergreen so I could write about it in the month afterwards. So I wouldn't feel so burnt out, but also I would be being true to myself and writing about things that I find beautiful that aren't typically discussed when we talk about sports. So I, I do have article, more articles coming at the end of February and the beginning of March. Most of them do center around the, um, the AHL induction hall of fame ceremony, but I put a twist on it and I'm really excited about it because it's me. It's who I am. And when you put yourself into your writing or your passion or your craft, people learn to love it more because they're like, oh, that's Elaine. And if they love you, they love the writing. <laughs> and they look at it and they're like, it's so genuine. The writing is genuine because it's who they are. They're not trying to be someone else. They are just being themselves. And so because of that, I got to experience this event because I was not exhausted and I wrote a few good articles already about the event and I'm really proud of that and I wouldn't have had that if I didn't take that sabbatical which for the first two months of my sabbatical it was torture it was pure torture because it was the end of the season Things were heating up, and then one of the teams I cover won the Calder Cup, the Chicago Wolves, and I, it was torture. It was torture, because I was like, ugh, I've always wanted to cover a Calder Cup. I've always wanted to cover, you know, like, that storyline of how they were just so good. Like, I just, I was, I was upset. <laughs> it was really tough. But in the end, it was worth it because I feel like I really rocked this event and that I feel even more confident about going to it in 2024 when it's in San Jose. And that's where a bunch of my family lives. So <laughs> I will be taking a week off and visiting my family and covering the AHL All-Star Game in 2024 and living my best life. <laughs> The second hard road is having two jobs, right? It would have been easy to just stop writing and I realized there wasn't going to be much money. Or have my parents take care of me and just focus on writing. <laughs> but instead, having a job to really make sure that I am financially taken care of while writing 
allowed me to pay for this trip, allowed me to pay for gas to go to the places I needed to go during the regular season in general. Yeah, I sacrifice a lot. <laughs> I have prioritized sleep finally over some things, but also I have sacrificed a lot of time with my friends and my family, but I needed to do that this year. So hopefully I will, by next season, have better, um, like a better schedule, learn how to write a little bit faster, um, maybe drop down to one or two teams and not watch like 12 games a weekend because that's a lot for someone who doesn't have two jobs. <laughs> um, so imagine working 40 to 55 hours a week and doing that. It's insane. Don't try to advantage it. Just don't do it. I don't suggest it. Um, I say that, but <laughs> now I say, but it's worth it because I was able to go to, I was able to afford to go to this event. Uh, now the third hard road. Okay. The third one is a little embarrassing. Um, I have a slight fear of flying. When I was younger, I used to love flying. I honestly have no clue how, like why I developed this fear when I was like 20 years old. I was actually flying from Cleveland to Chicago and I was getting a little scared. And then I think I was 21. I was flying from Akron Canton to Charlotte and that wasn't bad but Charlotte to DC Baltimore I was wigging out the whole way and ever since then not not the best flyer not sure why but um <clears throat> but also I was very afraid of how I was going to react after my last time trying to fly um, about four and a half years ago, my cousin's father was murdered and I found out about not even six hours before I had to get on a flight <laughs> and fly to Chicago for trading. And that would have been the first time I was going back to Chicago since my best friend had died. And so there was a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions going on at about, I want to say six in the morning eh, on the plane. And we were taxiing to the runway and we were getting ready to go wheels up. And I had an incredible meltdown. <laughs> I was screaming and I had a full on panic attack. Um, if you were on that flight, uh, September 17th, 2018, I am so sorry. <laughs> if you had a connecting flight that day and you were on my flight, I'm sorry you missed your flight. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they, we turned around, they let me out. It was, it, it was embarrassing. Um, but I, and I worked through all of the things after that, um, I got a lot of help to deal with some of those emotions. And um, but but there was still that fear in the back of my mind that I was going to just all of a sudden have a panic attack. I was not going to drive to Quebec in the middle of the middle of winter. No, thank you. I have a Hyundai Elantra. I would need like a snow plow to make sure I was safe. <laughs> but 
<clears throat> I'm glad that I flew. We want to talk about better views. Let's talk about the literal views from the plane. Okay. I watched the sunrise on my incredibly short 24-minute flight to Detroit from Cleveland. It was hands down one of the most beautiful things I've ever laid my eyes on to watch the sunrise from the air looking out your plane window. It, it was just just perfection and it was like someone was painting me a picture, right? Like you were watching the picture being painted in real time. And then on the way home, flying into LaGuardia was, <laughs> in a word, it was dope. <laughs> it was dope. <laughs> there is no other real way to describe it. Um, I was so excited to see that New York City skyline. And uh, at one point it felt like we were going to land right in the water. Uh, we didn't, but it was actually really cool. And I got really excited as we kept getting closer to the water. And I was like, oh my God, that's the water, that's the water. Are we gonna land in the water? Like, this is so cool. And the guy sitting in the seats across the row was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, have you never flown into LaGuardia? And I was like, never, this is so sweet. <laughs> Um, I was very excited. <laughs> um, and another thing I got to experience on the way, the view, the better view was the people that I had as a seatmate, right? On the way to Detroit, I sat next to this older woman. They were going to, I think, Barbados, maybe? And with her kid, with her, um, with her son and daughter-in-law. And she was super sweet, super calming. And we both just fell asleep, you know, and then we laughed about how we got like a good five minutes of sleep because this flight was only 24 minutes. <laughs> um, on the way into Montreal, I sat next to a guy who we didn't speak really um, at all. And we hit some turbulence and I freaked out a little bit and they accidentally hit... <laughs> Accidentally, I was trying to play with the um, the air to get the air come out on you to like because I was starting to kind of panic and I needed something to blow on my face. Uh, but I accidentally <laughs> hit the call button, and um, he made me feel safe and fine. And he he actually at one point like just touched my arm to calm me down in a very kind, non judgmental way. Right? Uh, it was just very simple. A very sweet and a very kind gesture that he did not have to do. He could have ignored me and he did not. And I appreciated that. I sat by myself on the way into LaGuardia. I was the best seatmate, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> on the way from LaGuardia to Cleveland, I sat next to this woman who grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side um, and now lives near Cleveland in Ohio and she was doing work the whole time she was being like a bad bitch man like boss bitch queen you know whatever we want whatever people are calling them today that's what she was being and I want to be able to get to that level on a plane where I'm coming from an event and I'm just like typey type type look at me right I'm writing about cool shit because I'm on a plane and I can and I'm not terrified <laughs> like <laughs> um, it was nice though because then you know we talked about our trips she talked about her children and how much she loved them and how excited she was to be back with them and I was like I'm excited to be with my cat you know because that's what crazy single people with pets do right <laughs> someone's like I miss my children we're like oh my god I know my cat oh, she's gonna be so mad when she sees me <laughs> I'm surprised more people don't hate me <laughs> but she was really sweet and 
you know, I'm a bigger girl as well. So I, I worry about who I'm going to sit next to because sometimes people make it very uncomfortable for you if you take up more space than they think you should take up. But they were all wonderful. And the flight attendants were wonderful. And the first flight, I asked for a seatbelt extender while I was sitting, um, while I was already sitting. And she was very discreet about it, didn't draw attention to it. She casually slipped it and showed me how to do it, like really quick, you know. Um, and then on the next flight, you know, I just started asking as I walked on because I'm like, oh, they have so much to do. I might as well just ask right when I get on. And there was a man behind me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, I'm actually asking for one too. <laughs> and I mean, he was just like a really muscular dude, but I guess not just fat people <laughs> like myself need a seatbelt extender. Um, and so it's not shameful, right? It's not a shameful thing. And being surrounded by all those people, it just, it was just good. Like the vibes were good. It was just beautiful moment after beautiful moment. And I absolutely loved it. And it made me feel so much more comfortable about flying, having great seatmates, great flight attendants, great people at the desks. Even the pilots were amazing. Like for four flights of having that in within like two, three days, I mean, that's probably rare. I know. But I'm going to hold out hope that that continues to be that way for me the next time I fly. <laughs> the um, fourth hard road was doing it alone, right? I mean, like, I'm an only child and I'm single, so I do a lot of things alone. But going to another country and... Um, and going to this big event and traveling by myself, staying in a hotel room alone, it was a little scary to me. I really wanted to go with people. Um, and it was a little tough to like, get into that mode of like, oh, I'm alone. Because there were a lot of people there who knew people and who were friends with people and they had their little groups and they planned things out, like a lot of people, right? And there I was, you know, people were like, oh, we're going sightseeing here and or we're or they're doing stuff as a group. They're doing team building. A lot of people, a lot of people came with other people. Um or linked up with the teams that they cover or whatnot. And I, <laughs> I felt very alone at first, at some point. Um, and the group from Field Pass did invite me out a few times, but the one time I was already, like I had just gotten to the hotel room, I needed to shower, I smelled like sweat and fear and anxiety. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to go pick up my credentials and stuff. So I was like, okay, there are people here that I know that if I needed someone or if I was feeling lonely, I could go see them. Um, but I'm glad I went alone because I made a lot of new friends. Um, and I went exploring on my own for a little bit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I made a lot of friends with the Uber because I was like, I am a single woman in another country. I'm not just gonna walk around. Plus it was like a negative 13 one time at one point. And that is Fahrenheit, not Celsius. So like it was cold. <laughs> um but I think the best part was there was so little downtime. Just it was just go, 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 right? Like Sunday, red carpet. Um, you know, Sunday was red carpet, and then the locker rooms opened, 
then it was the skills event and then the locker rooms were open again and there was writing and I didn't get back to my hotel room till like midnight I think and I stayed up until like one or two and then I woke up early and wrote some more and then at 10 o'clock in the morning 10 30 I had to leave to go to the hall of fame induction and then we didn't get back to like 1 p.m and then the buses to the all-star game was left at like three I think so like I took a nap I took a quick shower all of that and then I didn't get back to the hotel at, until like midnight somewhere around there then I packed up and I passed the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> because I I was exhausted because like I said it was just go 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 but it was good go it was like good go 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 like there wasn't that negative there wasn't that negative energy it was just like lots was going on lots of good stuff and I had to stay focused that was tiring because I was like I could do this and I could do that and it's like no way no you cannot you really cannot <laughs> you think you can but you're gonna bring yourself out so focus. Eyes on the prize, baby. Eyes on the prize. <laughs> um, so there is that. Uh, but having like that little downtime was mine. It was mine. It was mine and mine alone. I didn't have to adhere to anybody else's schedule, but my own. And that was nice. I haven't had my time be my time in a long time. And now, <laughs> and now I'm trying to integrate more Elaine time into my life because I was very well rested and at peace that whole weekend. And it could have been me being like, <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't me being like that. It was very chill. <laughs> uh, the last hard road, um, it actually almost, that really almost prevented me from going and I had to work through was my ex is from Gatineau, Quebec, is about two hours away from Montreal and about an hour and a half away from Laval. So around this time last year, he and I had talked about how when the all-star game comes, that he would come up and he would help me and we would be like a team almost like, you know, I would be doing my work, but he would be there for kind of like the moral support slash entertainment part. And um That was tough, right? Because he loves Montreal and he always talked about it. And as we were like driving through the city to get to Laval, I was seeing some of these places and it was, um, it was a little tough, right? Like a little tough. And I, you know, in November, I was like, do I even want to go? Do I want to go? What if he's there and he doesn't acknowledge me? Or, you know, what if he's there and he's with someone else? And it was, you know, there was a lot there, a lot to unpack, right? A lot I had to work with and work through. And I am glad that my mom didn't let me act that way. <laughs> I'm glad that my friend Adam in England did not let me think that way for long. Um, because the view, the better view from love all and going after all of that with my ex was one, I, got a, uh, I had a lot of closure, a lot of a lot of closure. Um, the door isn't necessarily closed, right? Like I don't, I don't close doors on relationships all the way. Um, it's very rare. And when I say relationships, I mean, just with people in general, not like 
um, not just boyfriend, girlfriend style stuff, but even like friends. Um, you know, there's always going to be that place in my heart for him, at least for a while. Um, because I thought it was going to be something way more than I guess it was. I really bought into what he was selling, right? Um, <clears throat> but I got, I got some closure because I emailed him, let him know I was coming, and I didn't get a response. And so I took this dress, this yellow dress that um, I actually wasn't a fan of the bottom of the dress <laughs> at all. Uh, but he, I showed it to him in the, the dressing room. Like I took a photo of it and sent it to him and he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And I was like, okay, when you come, when you come to America, when you come to Cleveland, um, it was supposed to be May and then possibly July. And then he just kind of disappeared on me. Um, I was hoping to wear it and be like, look, it's the dress that you love so much on me. Even though I was not, I mean, I was not a fan of the bottom half at all. <laughs> uh, but I held on to it. So it's like, what if I see him again? Um, and I could wear it. Maybe he'll remember. And that was just me probably romanticizing. So I brought the dress to level and I left it in my hotel room um, with a note to give it to a good home because I haven't worn it yet. And it deserves to be somewhere that's it's going to be loved. It's a beautiful dress from like the calf up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was kind of my way of getting that closure but here's the thing if <laughs> if I hadn't gone I wouldn't have really known what else I wanted from life right what, like from a relationship um, you know I got to see Dina and, and Gary Weinheimer live and in action at a big event like this. So Dina's a writer. She writes for Field Pass. Um, and her husband, Gary, is a fan. And he was there supporting her. He brought her lunch. He was just an amazing support to not just her, but the whole team and and myself included, and I'm not part of Field Pass, and, you know, he, I mean, I've met him multiple times, I like Gary a lot, he's cool, <laughs> um, but I want something like that, I like, it hit me, like, I want something like that, I want to know that I'm going to be supported, and it's not just talk, it's action, it's not just like, oh, I support you. It's I'm literally going with you to this event and I'm going to keep you awake if you feel like you're going to fall asleep or I'm going to wake you up if you need to take a nap and make sure that you do your best work and support me to do my best work. And that's, that's what they have. And I want something very similar to that. Um, on the bus ride to the airport on Tuesday, uh, there were a lot of players on my bus right there, mostly from the Toronto Marlies, uh, and Logan Shaw and his wife and their kid. They were on the bus and it was teamwork out of them. You know, they had to set up the car seat for their son. It was total teamwork. And then Logan stayed with the kid while his wife 
was able to sit back and talk to um, another member of the Marleys and his girlfriend. And I love that. Like, <laughs> he he didn't make her do any of the work, any more work than she needed to. He let her enjoy the, that ride to the airport. And then when they got off, you know, they split up their duties. Not one person had to do more than the other. And there was no fighting. There was no, I could not feel an animosity vibe. And it was early. So there could have been one. Like it was early. It was way too early. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was so, amazing like and I sat there and I didn't realize how much I wanted that kind of relationship as well until I saw it and I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't gone on this trip but also you know I'm looking at, at friends too in Adam like I've said many times on this podcast he lives in England he's like my Twitter BFF since October of like 2021 he checked in on me every time, every day I was there, multiple times to see how it was going. He knew I was a little nervous about some things. He is learning about hockey. He's genuinely taking an interest in my passion. I am so thankful for that because then I have another person to talk to about my passion. And he's genuinely asking questions like, what did, what happened today? Like what, you know, what all did you do? Like, oh, that sounds busy. Tell me like, and wanted me to tell more. A lot of times people will be like, oh, oh, so you're in the wall. Well, you know, like for what? Oh, oh, the all-star classic. Oh, that's like a big thing. That's cool. And that's it. They're not like, you know, let's catch up when you get back or let's talk about it when you get back. And that, that was kind of tough you know and I get people are adults and busy and all that jazz um but Adam that was great and I wish more people were like him I mean I know BK checked in on me in fact he asked me today when is your podcast going up about the all-star game well here it is here it is BK it's here it is <laughs> um and there are there are people who were genuinely interested in what was going on but from someone who was across the ocean and knows nothing about hockey that was great that was nice <clears throat> now if I hadn't <clears throat> no if I had let any of those hard roads stop me or prevent me from attending the all-star classic I would have missed so much so much. Um, first of all, I would have missed the amazing steak <laughs> and crab cakes I had at Sterling State House in Laval when I took myself on a little date after I got there and showered. <laughs> um, the red carpet event beforehand was exciting. You could feel the excitement in the in the air. The fans were so excited to finally get to experience this event. And you know what? The mascots were the best part. I was going to do a whole article about their style of the guys coming off the buses. But one, it was cold as shit. It was so cold. Um, so a lot of them just had jackets on. <laughs> Two, some of the guys had literally just landed. And so they were in like, you know, sweaters and sweatpants. <laughs> um a pair of jeans and a sweater, you know. At three, the mascots stole my heart. The mascots were hilarious. They, first of all, some of them decided to take the Ferris wheel. At that point, it was below, I think it was below zero. Okay. It was cold. It was freezing. And they got on a Ferris wheel while the sun was setting. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then all the dance parties that they were having. Oh, my goodness. Tux from Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. They are the farm team of the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
he was just having a dance party. And then whatever the guy is from Lehigh Valley, he also was having <laughs> a dance party. The um, Charlotte Checkers mascot, he's a polar bear. He was absolutely just... <laughs> He was so excited. He was, you know, giving everyone fist bumps and high fives, but nothing, nothing will compare to Naughty. N-A-U-T-I, I think, or N-A-U-D-I. He's from the Utica Devils, the farm team of the New Jersey Devils. I think they're so called the Comets. He literally took off in a run to give Nico Dawes, their goaltender, a hug. Just took off in a run. <laughs> while they announced it for the red carpet it was so much fun the mascots are truly the best part of all these events let's be honest <laughs> um i was so excited to finally get a chance to interview riley nash about what it was like to sweep tampa bay when the jackets did it a few years ago um you know i i had to ask him I'm like you're right here no one's asking you questions talk to me very wonderful, very wonderful guy. Um, I just randomly decided to interview Joseph Wall, the goaltender for the Toronto Marlies, who has been playing up with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, he he is hilarious. He's a gem. He's down to earth. He is one of probably the most normal goaltenders I've ever met in my life. <laughs> He loved the booze. I'll tell you that right now. Laval fans were just booing everything Toronto Marley. They didn't care. Didn't care. <laughs> and they were just booing him. And he was just, it was, it was giving him new life. It was like he was thriving on the booze. <laughs> After three seasons of covering Brian Lashoff for the Grand Rapids Griffins, I finally got to meet him. I've been doing all of these interviews post-game via Zoom, and I finally got a chance to meet him, and it was nice to put a name with a face in person and get a chance to ask him some one-on-one -on -one questions. Very, very wonderful guy. Very, the presence that he has in a locker room, you, it, it's calming, um, but you can tell that there are a lot of people who respect him, and there are definitely a lot of people who would run through a brick wall for him. That was just the vibe that I got from the people that were just sitting nearby him. <laughs> and they don't even play with him on a nightly basis. So I can only imagine what it's like for players who play with him every single night. The, the skills competition was so much fun. I know that the NHL got a lot of hate for their boring skills competition, um, part of that has to be because it's long, right? And the other thing is, is, I don't think that the players really care, right? Like they don't even, they're just like, oh, I'm just here. Um, but the AHL one was super fun. It went super fast. Um, I got to witness history live when Ethan Frank of the Hershey Bears earned the fastest skater at 12.915 seconds. He's the first to break the 13 second barrier. The closest to come to that was Anthony Greco back in 2019 with a 13.251 speed on the fastest skater. Um, I, <laughs> I enjoyed laughing with the other writers and the cameraman because I was sat <laughs> I was sat next to the cameraman. I don't know why people keep putting me next to the cameraman at these events. Um, just one, one false move. And I'm on camera and I'm probably going to make like a duck face or fish face or something crazy. <laughs> uh, but it was great to laugh with these people about how multiple players score, <laughs> scored in the low 80 mile per hour in the hardest shot. <laughs> I loved it. Hearing the booze for every Marley's player was great, but it was even better when the Laval fans booed Hershey Bears Mike Vecchioni, 
who went one four eight on the accuracy shooting contest. <laughs> one for eight in accuracy. Fans were like, nope, get out of here, boo. <laughs> the cutest thing that we saw during the event um, was during the breakaway relay challenge. Gabriel Dumont's son, Matteo Dumont, uh, scored on the five hole of Lucas Dostil. Okay. Now, this kid did it by himself. Nobody set him up like a certain other player's child in the NHL. We're not going to. That was cute, though, him scoring too. But this kid, this kid, he skated that puck down. He did a little stick movement and then he fired it right through. Lucas Dostal's Bible. <laughs> and it was it was pretty great. It was actually the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And the crowd went wild. And he this thing where he put his hand to his ear and he beckoned the crowd to to like scream more, to cheer him more. And oh, they did. And so did we on press row. <laughs> um I also got to meet Sydney Kinder and Noemi Chautier LaFrancois. Um, they took part in the new AHL mentorship program. They were working as athletic trainers for the East and the West um, and learning from both the Laval Rocket uh, athletic training team and medical team and the Toronto Marlies as well. Sydney, I spoke to her twice because my uh, recorder got corrupted at one point during our um, our first interview. And she is amazing. She currently works at Camp Pendleton for the United States Marine Corps uh, with their sports medicine and injury prevention program. Um, being that I also work for the federal government on a contract like she does, it was nice to talk to someone about what it's like to be on a contract. Um, and not be like in that permanent position kind of thing. It was nice to bond over that. It was nice to hear um, to hear what she brings to the table as a uh, as a woman of color and a member of the LGBTQIA plus fam- uh, community. I cannot wait to drop that article <laughs> later this month with um, her and Noemi. Uh, Noemi works for the Gatineau Olympics. Yes, you heard Gatineau earlier. Yes, you did. (laughs) Uh, The Gatineau Olympics as an athletic trainer. I really enjoyed talking to her, especially talking about how during COVID, she worked on the front lines helping in the COVID clinics in Quebec and how she was able to use that to help prepare her as an athletic trainer for the bubble season. Um, for the QMJHL. The Hall of Fame induction, I, I learned a lot of life lessons from Noel Baumgarter, Keith Alcoin, the, to- the Tory brothers, and David Andrews, who was the former um, CEO of the AHL, which is now Scott Housen. Some of the life lessons I learned were that the AHL really is a great place for development. Um, the importance of family, that there is more than one road to every final destination. And I touch on all of that in the articles that I'm currently working on about them. So I'm not going to give you too much because I want you to go and read them at Full Press Hockey when they drop at the end of February, and the beginning of March. So keep your eyes peeled for those. But um, getting to interview David Andrews was wild to me because it's something I never dreamed that would happen. Um, you know, he retired right as the pandemic was happening. And I was like, well, I'll never get my chance now. And they honored him at this hall of fame. They inducted him into the hall of fame and getting to hear his 15 minute long speech, which was incredible, by the way, (laughs) So listening to him talk about his family and his coworkers and the people he works with and just how he was able to turn the AHL into a family and how he continued to keep the AHL 
a family atmosphere amongst the people who work together. Um, that's why I like covering the AHL because it's less ego, more, more hard work, more dedication, more family, more love. It feels like down here in the AHL. I feel very blessed and lucky to have been able to chat with David Andrews after, after his speech um, to learn that it took, it takes a lot of integrity and trust to build something like the AHL and continue to grow it. Um, the, the wonderful things he had to say about Scott House and, and how he has those same qualities of integrity and he is someone who you can trust. And, you know, it's nice to see the AHL go from one guy with integrity to another guy with integrity. You don't always see that <laughs> in sports. Now, the game was great. Okay. You know, they did round robin, um, around robin with like three on three hockey, right? It was so much fun. The semifinal game <laughs> went to a 12 round shootout. Now, the shootouts were only supposed to be after three shooters. If everyone's tied, it stays tied, right? Uh, well, the uh, I can't remember if it was Logan Shaw or no, Noel Hoffman, Hoffman Mayer, Hoffman Mayer from the Marlies, but it was a Marley, it was a Toronto Marley who convinced the refs to make it a longer shootout, and the fans were behind him the whole way. So by the end of the weekend, Laval Rocket fans were cheering on Toronto Marley players, which was fantastic to see. Um, but it went to a 12-round shootout, and it was, it was insane. It was so exciting and so thrilling. Um, there were multiple assists by goalies. Uh, Lucas Dossale and Dustin Wolf, I think, had like two each. It was great. <laughs> and that's why they, that's part of the reason why they won the um, MVP award for the West. I mean, they won it for the whole, the whole AHL All-Star game, but they played for the, the Pacific. Um, I also really enjoyed the opening game and the opening face-off when TJ Tynan, <laughs> TJ Tynan of the Ontario Reign, TJ Tynan, the Chicago area native, TJ Tynan, the Cleveland Monsters Calder Cup winner. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching him win a face-off with the butt of his stick. So yes, he turned his stick over and instead of using the blade, <laughs> he used the top of his stick, the butt. I've never seen anything like that. And it was even better because he won it. He won the face off. <laughs> so as you can see, I had all these wonderful memories. And none of them would have happened if I didn't take that hard road. If I didn't look beyond my fears. I, I never would have seen so many beautiful and amazing things. So, one, start watching the AHL, okay? AHLTV.com or watch the AHL.com. Sign up and watch the AHL, AHL games or watch, like, watch the free game of the week. They have those occasionally on watchtheahl.com. Um, pricing plans aren't too bad, especially now that we're past the halfway mark of the season. You can watch, you know, your local team or your favorite team's farm club, whichever you choose. You can watch them all if you want. <laughs> but the the AHL is, is great. It's amazing. And there there was no egos there. Everyone was so excited to be there. Like Riley Nash has been in, in the professionals for like 13 years. And this was his first all-star game. Not he didn't even get into an all-star game in the NHL, right? So he'd been kind of like grinding it out the past few years, like things were not working out. And he easily, easily could have been like, this is beneath me. 
and it wasn't. And he enjoyed every single moment and he made sure that his son was along for the ride. His son was out there on the benches during the, um, the skills competition, just having a blast. He created that memory with his son and he, he didn't take it for granted. And I loved it. That's what the vibe is in the AHL. The bulk of people playing in the AHL love it. They love playing hockey and they want to be better hockey players. And yes, they would love to play in the NHL, make NHL money. But at the end of the day, so many guys are just like, God, I love it in the AHL. It's a family here. It's great. They wouldn't change their path for anything because this is where they ended up. And it became life-changing in off the ice. It became life-changing off the ice as well as on the ice. Um, but also take the hard road, guys. Get the better views. Get the better views. Experience, experience life to its fullest. Don't give up when the road gets rocky, okay? Because the view at the top of that mountain, the view at the end of that incredibly bumpy flight, <laughs> the view when you have to cross that river is absolutely beautiful. And when you get to that view, stop and soak it in because you don't know when it's gonna come back. You don't know when you're going to experience that view again. And even on your way to your destination, like I said earlier, there will be beautiful things along the way. And make sure you take the time to soak them in because you do not know if they will be there again. I love you all. Thank you for joining me on this incredibly long podcast of just me talking. I will hopefully be getting guests in here soon. But until then, I hope you enjoy the sound of my voice. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. And remember, be kind and love always. My theme music is One Light by Nick Wilkinson and the Featured Players. You can find their latest album, Live, Volume 1, on Bandcamp and Spotify. Live, Volume 1 was recorded in front of a live audience on May 26, 2017 at Jilly's Music Room in Akron, Ohio.